Good morning. I am a Scotsman. One of the things about being a Scotsman is that you are permanently, always, at all times, in all seasons, depressed about your, t your country's soccer team. <laughs> Therefore, I am here for you. <laughs> I know your pain and I can walk you through how to survive it. That's all we have is a sermon this morning. <laughs> it's just a long period of mourning and grieving. Phil is with me. Good morning. Hi, Phil. Um, Phil's been with us for, uh, well, really since uh, sort of September 2021, I think it was. He sort of, Phil joined us as we were going through various uh, sort of transitions here at Westside. Phil stepped into the role as, as our interim uh, worship pastor. And um, all things interim come to an end uh, eventually and sadly, uh, I say sadly because Phil's also one of my closest friends in the city, so I appreciate that. But, but Phil and Marissa will be, uh, you're heading south uh, in February. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, not South Calgary. No, uh, further south. <laughs> a little bit further south than that. Uh, we're recently accepted the uh, lead pastor role at a church called All Souls in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, a ways from here. Bye. So, we will, yeah. I am, like, deeply grateful to you, Phil, for kind of stepping in to help us during our, our time of transition, but also have known that God is stirring that, that, that sort of, that, that call in your, in your heart for a while. So uh, probably I think I can speak confidently on behalf of everyone. Thank you for stepping into the gap with us. Um, and, uh, you know, we just really uh, pray that as you transition this move, Advent, Christmas, house transitions, family transitions. We pray that God's with you in that. And uh, Thanks, David. And obviously, you're here with us until you go. We're not letting you leave that quickly. So uh, we, have, uh, we have a lot to do. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But, but yeah, so it, over the next few months, when you see Phil, if you want to, feel free to just express your thanks. Uh, bless him and his family for their investment in our church, helping us navigate uh, this particular time. So thanks for that. Thank Phil. you. And it's been an honor for Marissa and I uh, to serve here and uh, to be with you all each Sunday. So thank you. Excellent. And um, yeah. And when you're back in Calgary visiting, because I know you have family here, you're always welcome to come and do whatever you want here. Uh, by then, we'll have recovered from your sermon on the Trinity. So we'll be, uh... <laughs> that's a, I'm like, that's a dangerous invitation. Are you, are you sure you want to say that? <laughs> so it's Advent. Uh, Advent, we say, what is Advent? I thought that the seasons of the church were Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Christmas. Um, and now we're talking about Advent, this holiday that starts in between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, I think is how it works. Tell me about Advent. <laughs> yeah, Advent, as uh, Pastor Christine had mentioned, you know, we have this, uh, this idea of coming. And I think what gets confusing for people um, is... Didn't Jesus already come? It's kind of strange that we're... Yes, uh, Jesus has come, but we believe that Jesus is coming again. And this is um, such an important thing. You know, I, in fact, I was thinking uh, even in, be, in between services of uh, Jamie Smith and his third book in the Cultural Liturgy series that you've been uh, referencing recently. Talked about um, we've become very focused, and this is a good thing, uh, of the things that we're going to do and... Um, on earth, he said, but I wonder if we've forgotten a little bit of 
this idea that we can't rescue ourselves and that um, that there is, Jesus is coming again and our hope is coming. Um, and so we remember that in this season. And one of the things I love, um, as you talked about before, is um, the beginning, this is Happy New Year, right? This is a, a new year. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, because the, the Christian calendar runs out of sync with the sort of calendars of the rest of the world. Or, as you corrected me rightly in the first service, actually the rest of the world runs out of sync with the Christian calendar. And uh, an Advent is the beginning of a new year in the church. And it's, I, I love the fact that we begin the new year with a period of waiting. Uh, there's a period of, uh, there's this confession from the church that Christmas is this immense moment in our, in our story. But prior to Christmas, God's still working. Yes. Mary was pregnant before Christmas. God was doing things in the hiddenness and the unseenness. And, and Advent's this, this kind of preparation stage, isn't it? Marriages have engagements. Babies have pregnancies. And Christmas has Advent, this sort of liturgical reenactment of, of the waiting for dawn. And, and like Phil says, we wait because not just to simply practice what Mary and Joseph went through, but actually because deeply embedded in the Christian confession is this idea that Jesus is coming again, that he's coming again to rescue us. He's coming again to put all things right. Yes. So what we're going to do this Advent is, is sort of dive into some scripture to shape us, to guide us, to, to help us. And the scripture that we're going to choose is to actually align ourselves with the lectionary. Now, perhaps you've not heard of the lectionary before. The, the lectionary is, is a three-year cycle of biblical readings that's used by churches all around the world from all sorts of different denominations. And, and these, these texts are aligned in, and laid out in a three-year pattern. So you're sort of following through biblical readings that align with the biblical season that we're in. And now, it might interest you to know that we already use the lectionary at Westside for our readings during the worship. The Psalms that we read most weeks are actually taken from the lectionary reading from that week. We're not just, just in case you wonder, we don't have like it's a big box that we roll our hands through and pick out a, a Psalm on the particular Sunday morning. But when, when you confess and respond to the Psalms every Sunday when we read them, there's another church in Africa and another church in South America and a gathering of Christians in the Philippines are confessing the same Psalm on the same day. I, I just, I think that gives me shivers. I think that's a phenomenal thought actually, isn't it? And so what we're going to do is also lean into the other readings from the lectionary. Every week there's an Old Testament reading and a couple of New Testament readings. And these readings will invite us to wait, they'll invite us to be patient, and they'll invite us to hope as well. So we've already read one of them uh, this morning. Uh, Lux read it to us just a moment ago responsively. But why don't we just revisit it ever so quickly? Uh, Phil, do you want to read this one for us? I can read it. It won't be as nice as when Lux read it, but I, I will do my best. From Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. 
They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of David, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What a text. <laughs> um, and I find, when I hear this text, and, and I'm curious, uh, you know, at some level of, of what is God stirring in your heart, perhaps something when we come to our dialogue later, you might want to reflect with everybody. But when I hear this text, this audacious vision of the future, and actually, when you dig a little bit into what's going on around Isaiah's life, the vision becomes even more audacious. There's this sort of project that runs through the Old Testament of this belief that the people of the world will eventually see that the hill in Jerusalem where the temple is, is the holy place. And that they will look to this place and find rescue from the Lord of Israel. But at the time of Isaiah, this dream has sort of collapsed. That might be an understatement. But, you know, the, the temple's a mess the hill's a mess, the city's a mess, and most of the people have been exiled off into other sort of places, and the threat is that it's going to get worse. Um, and Isaiah comes along with this vision of not everything being back to normal, of everything being better than it was. So now he talks about the mountain being the highest of the mountains, which is at the time, not true. <laughs> it's a hill, but it's not the highest of the mountains. So Isaiah's imagining mountain growth, right? And the temple being restored, and then all the nations streaming into it. So he's not just hoping for a return to where things were, but he believes that there's something bigger happening, this bigger hope, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, what really strikes me here is the, the two things happening simultaneously. Um, on the one hand, when we talk about hope during this season, I think there's uh, a temptation, and we catch this with some of the Christmas movies and, and different things that happen, of uh, a real kind of just happy ending, you know, oh, don't worry, it's not that bad. And people have gone through uh, very traumatic and terrible things, and even as the world has gone through and is going through very terrible things. But the prophets never come and say, don't worry about it, it's not so bad. <laughs> The prophets, in fact, uh, they call out false prophets who say, oh, peace, peace, everything's peace. They say, don't say peace when there is no peace. Um, and yet, in the midst of things falling apart and things being, as you said in the first service, um, not only bad, but worse than actually we imagined, right? Then this is what the prophets say. Oh, by the way, it's not just bad. It's actually worse than you think. Uh, and in the middle of that, let me paint for you a picture of what is coming because it is not as good as you're hoping for. It's actually better than you're hoping for. So you have these two things kind of happening at the same time, which I find, I find just stunning, you know. And, and I think for those of us have, as people who read Scripture and want to follow Jesus, like that's a, so often the accusation of, of people who are, religious in any way, is that, oh, well, you're religious just as, what was it, Nietzsche that said, it's an opium for the people. It's something to shield you away from the reality of what's going on. Uh, Jonathan Sachs, the, the rabbi, said, no, 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 that's not what Scripture does. What Scripture does is it opens you up to just really how bad everything is. Right? Super encouraging sermon this morning. And, um, but welcome this, to Advent. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Advent. It's dark. Yeah. But the other side is we keep lighting these candles yeah. Because once you've really looked into how bad things are, you realize the only hope then is that God is going to do something. Yeah. And good news, he is. And that's what Isaiah is coming along, is to actually, to almost hark back to the series we taught just, just recently, 
God is not shrinking away from us. Even as we look at how hard things are, God's not shrinking away. God is coming closer to us, and he's going to do more than we, than we could have imagined. Yeah. You know, I, I think all of us, I, we can acknowledge in this room, and particularly those of us who work in churches, like, uh, oh, my goodness, like, what, you know, what's happened in the past couple of years? And it's nice to see people coming and returning into the rhythms of church. But um, I think there is some, some sense of people walking around a kind of doom and gloom, like the whole thing's falling apart. And uh, it's this, we need the prophetic voice here to say, things are dark. And yet the light is so much closer than you realize. The hope is, is just around the corner it may come different than you expect, but, but hope is coming. So this is part of, for me, when I hear this text, it's such an encouragement in a, in a difficult, not just um, small season, but a, in a difficult, prolonged season in many ways. And this actually is part of the beauty of why we practice Advent, because it basically, it's a date, it's a point in the calendar, yeah. and, and, and you, you know, pastors around the world are doing exactly the same as us this morning, going, hey, it's Advent 1. And if we left up to ourselves, we might say, you know, I don't really want to talk about hope this morning. Uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of bad stuff going on. You know, wars, Canada, the World Cup, um, you know, stuff that, you know, it's still raw, isn't it? Uh, and so uh, give it 45 years and you'll know how, if, no, like, sorry, that's my pain. <laughs> but there's so much like genuinely, seriously bad stuff happening personally and broader than that, that without Advent, we might focus on that. And Advent calls us. I was reading this morning from my devotion throughout Advent, I'm, I'm reading some of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's work. And Bonhoeffer, there's this letter I read just this morning before I came to church. Uh, he writes to his parents during Advent. And he tells them, it's Advent, you have to celebrate. But for full context, he's writing from a Nazi prison where he's facing his eventual execution. And then he writes to his parents, he's like, like, no, you have to celebrate Advent. You have to celebrate Christmas because this is how we believe and confess that the darkness will not win, that the darkness will not overcome. So what Advent calls out of us is even if you don't feel like being hopeful, hope is coming. Right? God is coming and he's drawing near to us. And the early Christians saw this when they read Isaiah chapter two, didn't they? They, they saw that God is bringing all the nations together. Like, what a vision. Not some of them, all of them. They're coming together to confess the Lord. And then you get this. I love this little text in verse 3. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the early Christians noticed the very next line. It says, he will judge between the nations. And they saw in this, this law and this word that you might think of as a message or you might think of as something written down. Isaiah imagines personified. And the early Christians said, you know, John 1, Jesus is the word. They said, oh, this is Jesus. He's coming to judge between the nations. And notice what he does. He overwhelms this human tendency to destroy each other which actually is profoundly important. If you remember where the text started, he's bringing all the nations together. And often we say, can we imagine that? Mm. What we tend to do is we go, oh, it wouldn't be amazing if all the nations can get together. Mm. Think about how well we get on as all the nations. <laughs> like right now in history, it's gonna be a fight if we bring all the nations into one place. We're all in one world and we can't agree. So again, Look at this text, how important is it that, you know, at some level, this is key. If you're going to bring all the humans into one place, you better get rid of their weapons first. And this is exactly what the text calls us to, isn't it? 
and a different, you talk about this as a different imagination, really, don't you? Yeah, yeah, the imagination, and you know, imagination not as make-believe, um, but the imagination in the life of faith is to allow God to open up our minds and our hearts to new possibilities and real possibilities. And this is what the prophets are, are doing. I mean, we are, our imaginations are shaped in one way or another. And uh, oftentimes, you know, you sometimes hear people say like, well, if, if anything bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. And, you know, all of these kinds of things. And um, our imaginations often, and I would say perhaps in their natural type tendency, uh, is to move toward fear. Right? How many of you, you, we, when we become afraid, we start, what do we do? We imagine into the future of all these bad things unfolding. Uh, and, and the prophets call us into imagining a different future. Um, not one that is kind of going down in flames, but one that is being renewed by God. And uh, in, in which, and I'm going to quote um, the profound Samwise Ganji here, in his question uh, to, I believe, Gandalf, and some of you Lord of the Rings, I should have checked it between services, but some of you Lord of the Rings uh, geeks can correct me on this, but, you know. Fans. Fa fans is the word I was looking for <laughs> there, certainly. Uh, where he says, you know, is, is everything sad going to come untrue? And what a shocking thing we see here. You know, the one thing I'll say just on, I, I find the hardest place for Christians for our imaginations to be reshaped is when it comes to violence. Because we think that the only way that we can move ahead and get peace is through the means of violence. And the prophets over and over again say your imagination is warped. There is coming a day where the weapons will be turned into gardening tools and you will not need them anymore. Live into that future now. And I think this is a, uh, such a, a beautiful reality. And if we could open up our hearts and minds to that, I mean, this is part of what Advent is calling us toward, this hopeful imagination which shapes our life in the present. And I, and I think you, you know this experience that Phil's talking about, um, run this as an experiment, just over you know, a coffee or a casual dinner at some point recently, say to someone, what if we had no military, right? Let's imagine that, because that's essentially what Isaiah is telling us the future is gonna look like. You know, no sword against nation. I love that line, it breaks me every advent, nor will they train for war anymore, right? Um, so it's not just that they won't do it, they're not even gonna plan for it, right? Just run that as a theory across somebody this week Right? Uh, just go, hey, like, what if, what if we had no army? Right? What if we didn't even practice for war? And I almost guarantee you what somebody will say back to you is imaginative. They will ask you to imagine something. They'll say, but what if? Right? Um, what if a country starts to attack us? What if somebody takes up weapons? What if? And that what if conversation is an invitation for you to imagine, but an invitation for you to imagine in a very particular way, a way of fear. Uh, you talk, uh, I've heard you talk about, you know, in truth, like the, about personal weapons is so much of the time, that's the question. But what if someone comes to your house? And it's imagination shaping, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If, if somebody shows up at your door, are you not going to protect your family? Well, that's an imagination. You're thinking a particular way into the future. We're invited 
during this season to think in, in a different way. And I'll say this too. I'm reminded of this this morning. Um, that there are, we have miniature signs of hope. I couldn't help, but I, I didn't think of this in the first service. Sitting here now with these candles, um, sometimes during acts of violence, particularly religious acts of violence in the, in the multi-faith community at the university, um, we will sometimes get together and hold vigils with people of other religions. And I've, I've often thought of that as um, there's a way in which this is a protest when we gather together um, and, and we light our candles and we say we are coming together. Now imagine, imagine that that um, people who don't normally come together, that do come together for the purposes of peace, is hardly even scratching at the surface of what the prophet is telling us is going to happen. So we have tiny signs of hope, but the real hope, the real imagination is, is actually beyond our imagination. We need to be drawn into it by the very spirit of God. And, and notice then this final line, you know, if you think of this candle, the light as a protest against the darkness, like I love that. And, and of course we know this, we learned it in science class, the light will always overcome darkness. But the light is a protest against the darkness, hence the invitation from Isaiah. Okay, like this is just big future we've got to imagine that's beyond us, we can't even imagine it, right? W.H. Auden famously writes, nothing that can save us is possible. No, uh, so we're in the impossible space of imagining things beyond us, but then there's this invitation. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Right? So light that candle and walk that direction yeah. in hope that God can do what is impossible. And that's ultimately what Advent is yeah. calling us to, which jumps us then over to the New Testament uh, text for this morning, um, which is from Romans chapter 13. So perhaps, uh, perhaps you want to read this one. Yeah, and, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. St. Paul coming in from left field, ruining our party plans. <laughs> like everyone's like, oh man, New Year's Eve's going to have to change. <laughs> Sorry, is that too much for a Sunday morning? I don't know. <laughs> The longing for the light in this text, I hope, resonates with us. Right? The days are shorter at the moment. In actuality, the days are shorter, right? And, and it just feels like there's a lack of sunlight sometimes. And we, we hope for something. Daytime is coming. I love this line. I love the way you read it. The salvation is nearer than we first believed. Like, this is moving in a particular trajectory. But there's a lot of things that seem dark. You know, whether it's like, you know, the shortage of kids' Tylenol or the constant threat of nuclear war. But here, Paul says to us, why don't we put aside our part in the darkness and put on, and I love this idea of put on light as if it's a bulletproof vest, right? Light is your bulletproof vest against the darkness because darkness will get shot into your heart and you'll start to be shaped by it and it won't be good for you. I mean, I, this, is, this is quite a text, actually. Stunning text. And who, who needs a weapon when you have the shield of light wrapped around you, right? Yeah. I mean, a, a, different, a different vision how to be how to be human and uh, how to be with each other 
And, and Paul says to us then, wake up because God is coming to rescue us. But notice, and I think it's important to do a little bit of navigating with the text like this. You know, Paul is not speaking to our fears. Sometimes there's a tendency to read a text like this and, and just like focus in on certain things. And he's also not kind of calling us to piety, you know, just be a little more holy than everybody else. Look at those horrible sinners over there. Thank goodness we're not like them. I, when I read this text, I think Paul is pointing out that we're really bad at waiting. That when we're called to wait and we're called to be patient, we don't do well at it. and It doesn't bring out our best qualities. Uh, I don't know, maybe that's just me, but like when I have to wait from some, for something, I'm not overly great at it. Uh, and so Paul, Paul loves a list. One of the things you'll notice if you read a lot of Pauline texts, if there's a chance for a list, Paul brings out a list. And, and, and he has this horrible habit with, with these lists of starting with things that we can all agree with are wrong and ending with things that we can all agree with we do. Um, so like he starts with, he starts with, you know, carousing and drunkenness. And we're like, yes, yes, that's, that's not right. But he ends with dissension and jealousy. And we like slowly slide our social media off the table and be like, and be like, oh, that cuts. Um, <laughs> but, but, but what's Paul's doing here, Phil, and I'd love your, your thoughts on this, is I think what he's really saying is these sort of things that sometimes we tag off as really living, you know, we look at people that are hitting the party lifestyle hard and we say, hey, you're only young once, enjoy life. And Paul's take on this is actually, no, that's actually not life. That's not joy. Actually, you're sleeping through life. Wake up and get involved in something real. Yeah. You know, you think of, of the beginning of the Bible where there was perfect shalom. Um, this idea of... You know, as you were saying a few weeks ago, not just kind of a lack of conflict, but the abundance of, of harmony and the harmony way. Uh, and then that gets disrupted. And yet, as you've been talking about how the, the trajectory, we are headed towards something, or, or rather, uh, the future is headed towards us in Jesus Christ. And so God's future is coming to us, and we are invited to step into that future now. The question becomes, uh, are we living according to the future in which we're invited into, which is the way of life? This is the, the time, the place, however we wish to think of that, uh, in which shalom is perfectly lived and realized, the time where nation is you know, not at war with nation, no one's training for war. Um, this is the way of life. And yet in that way of life, what Paul is saying, there's a way that fits with life and there's a way that doesn't fit with life. Stop trying to live in the future with the things from the past which don't belong with shalom, don't belong to the way of life. Step into God's future and really, truly live. And, and I think, again, like Paul, I always think, speaks very, very well to the human condition. And, and, and we, a lot of us know this. You know, think about, you know, I know we keep talking about it, but it was such a big moment in our lives, the pandemic, right? And how often have you had this conversation with people? People are like, man, I don't know what happened to the last three years. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Like, 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 oh my goodness. Like, I saw somebody the other day there said, you know, it's like five weeks until 2023 and you're still recovering from 2019. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and that was four years ago. And you're like, well, that was like, oh my goodness, how is this happening? And I think Paul's describing when bad things start culminating and, and building up upon us, there's a tendency to kind of start sleeping longer and sort of kind of just ignoring things. And he's sort of saying, wake up. And I think if you read this in its full context, Paul's saying, wake up because your neighbor needs you. Yeah. 
And this is the Advent message. Don't sleep through this. God is doing something. He's up to something. You know, like we're all wandering around and we're like, oh, where is God? And when's God coming? And Mary's pregnant, right? And, the, and, and not everybody realizes what's going on, but she's pregnant. The Messiah is already with us. And, and that's the sort of Advent call, that if we can just hold on to this notion, this knowledge, this, the Bible would call it this hope, that Christ has died for you, he's risen for you, and he's coming again for you. Which sort of leads us into our gospel text for this morning. Um, which is a little spicy, especially if you read all of Matthew 24. But Phil and I decided to sidestep the controversy and just read this bit. (laughs) Yes, we did. (laughs) Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch And would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. If you've read this before, or if perhaps you grew up in certain church traditions such as you and I did, you maybe have heard this text before. And the likelihood is this text has been used to generate in you a fear about the return of Jesus, the sense of anxiety. Like you and I have shared this before, that that we grew up in a church tradition where it was like, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy, right? (laughs) And and we sort of see the return of Jesus almost as a bad thing. And and we read this text. um, Well, I mean, you talked about your experience with this text. uh, Do you want to say, (laughs) you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, just these very these very things, right? Of um, goodness, uh, I remember being a kid and um, seeing a particular play, which shall remain nameless today, um, which, as like a seven year old, just scared me so deeply, and and this kind of stuff was attached to it, right? Like you you didn't want to be at the junior high dance when Jesus was coming back. And we would ask this question too, right? Um, like, I want to go do this thing. Well, what would happen if Jesus came back? And the implication is... Not good things. Yeah. You'd be left behind, right? And, um, and you go home and see your parents' clothes neatly folded on the bed or whatever. Um, right? Because they've been... <laughs> anyway, we won't get too far into that. But traumatic... It was actually very traumatic... Uh, stuff. After the first service, somebody came up and said, uh, referencing kind of a teaching series you had done a few years ago, and said, I feel like we need a support group for people in their 50s. I think we can lower the bracket there for, for some of us who, um, who were taught some of these things and carried this deep kind of religious fear and, and, and guilt. You right? better not cry. You better not shout. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and let me say this to you. If you read a text like this and it frightens you or it frightens your children, you're reading it wrongly. (laughs) This is not what this text is supposed to do. The return of Jesus in scripture is always a good thing. And one of the things I love about what this text does, uh, and and if you go home and read the rest of Matthew 24, you'll see a a piece of text that's been abused through the years to come up with this this very niche belief in rapture, this idea that, that, that God is going to come and just take some people, but only the people that are doing exactly the right things at exactly the right point. And these sort of teachings, they generate anxiety and fear. 
despite the Bible's constant response that the Spirit of God drives out anxiety and fear, we, we read that in. It doesn't point us to Jesus. But one of the things I love about this text, and I love the, I'm going to say the playfulness of Jesus here, that of all the metaphors he could use, he decides to talk about God as a thief. <laughs> but an upside-down thief, you see. Because the thief ordinarily comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But this thief comes to bring light, hope, and salvation. But he's sort of sneaking it up on us. Jesus is like, hope is coming, light is coming, salvation is coming, but you don't know when. And in one sense, we think about a thief negatively because immediately we have this image of somebody sort of, you know, kicking in our back door and clearing out with our Xbox or, or whatever it is that you hold dear. And, um, and I think we naturally tend towards, oh, if somebody came and took all my stuff, that would be really, really bad. But what sort of stuff would a holy thief steal? You know, I bet you if you actually were to make a list for your insurance company, there's a whole bunch of stuff could get stolen that you would never want back. But what if he came and stole all your anxieties? What if Jesus came and <laughs> jacked all your fear? <laughs> what if Jesus ran off with your body image issues? You know, like that would be pretty good. It sounds like good news. Yeah, it's exactly Perhaps. like good news. So this holy thief comes in and steals from us and gives us stuff. And so where there was darkness, there's light. Where there was hopelessness, there's hope. Where there was lostness, there's salvation. And yet what Jesus does in this text, which is brilliant, is he just doesn't tell us when, because that would be a really bad thief. The other thing that would happen is I feel that sense from us. It would be so much easier if God would just tell us when. Mm. But of course, if God told us the time, we would do absolutely everything except trust him. And we would do everything to then think we're in control of it. And instead, he invites us to this knowledge that light is coming. We just don't know when. Yeah. You know, I think of, um, you think about Paul telling us to put away things. Because there are, there are, during Advent, a lot of texts that talk about judgment, that talk about, you know, um, where we've taken, I think, the wrong approach to fear. So I was, I was just thinking of, of Henry Nouwen, and he says that we know God is a jealous God who knows there is no other cure for our restlessness and deafness but finding our home in God. We know that God's mercy is a severe mercy that does not coddle or spoil but cuts to the heart where the truth resides. And although we are unsatisfied and unfulfilled, we are not so sure that we want to go in the direction God might call us to go. And this, to me, this is the judgment of God, right? This, this is the, um, the urgency of the matter. It's not that God is leading us to the bad place. It's that God is pulling us out of the bad place. But sometimes we resist. And uh, we're invited again and again, walk in the light. Don't solve things. Don't, you know, figure it out and control. Walk in the light. There's a better way. And so it's... It really does come back to the question of the last series. What is, you know, what is God like? What God are we talking about? And, and this God revealed in Jesus is always pulling us toward love. Always. And, and, and that's perhaps, if you think about this journey of the three texts this morning, this Isaiah's hope for a world that we will resist because it seems impossible. Yeah. You know, and then Paul saying, actually, there's a, there's a way to live that we will resist because it seems strange. You know? And then Jesus says, there's a thief coming that we will resist 
even though he only wants to bring us good things like ransom and rescue and goodness and light. And so, and, and this then you start to see what Advent's doing us. It's inviting us to hope when our natural tendency is to not hope. Yeah. It's inviting us to believe in impossible things when our natural tendency is to just give up and accept what seems possible. So Advent is training for us. When we light this candle, like the simplest of things to do, and that light flickers into your home. And I'd encourage you, take our Advent booklets, practice this at home. When the light fills your dark room, and, and wait till it's dark, and turn off all your lights and do this Advent stuff, and let that light lighten up your room, and remember that this is the hope, that God is coming for us. And we are in training at the moment for that. Thoughts, questions, comments. We always ask, is there something in this that has brought you conflict? Is there something in this that's brought you confusion? Is there something in this that's brought you clarity? But also that invitation that, you know, what is the Spirit stirring in you in this? So if you've got a question or a comment or an observation, put up your hand. Uh, Tori is... Uh, Tori has the microphone. It's Tori's birthday today. Um, so uh, just feel the joy that's coming from, uh, from Tori uh, this morning. Development in the world is climate change and there's very kind of real scientific fact that if we don't reduce carbon emissions by 2050, it's gonna be very chaotic. And I really have a hard time being hopeful with that scientific data. And the spicy part of Matthew 24 that was, it was left out talks about the apocalypse and how terrible those end times will be. And before Isaiah is revelations, you know, that there's gonna be a lot of heartache and I don't know, I just, um, I feel like as Christians, we're told to hope, but when you actually look at the scientific data of, you know, what the Fahrenheit increase is in the hottest summers are consecutively the past three years, it's really hard to feel hopeful about the future. Can I hit, can I hit the first part yeah, of this? Sure. And maybe if you want to talk uh, apocalypse. Okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. I love that. I love that. To be fair, I asked you to do Trinity a few weeks ago, and, right. and so you, you, you owed me this one. Uh, I, I, thank you. Thank you so much for that comment. I've been Great. thinking about this actually all service. Um, I had read just this past week, like 2050 might be, might be a stretch. Um, I've read that potentially in the next 10 years, um, you know, there, there's a, a massive ice field breaking apart in Antarctica, which could put 50 to 100 million people worldwide um, without homes. We are in a desperate moment. And, um, and I hope we're beyond kind of the political arguments with, with this. Uh, but just to say that um, I, I very much recognize what you are saying and the data you are talking about. I was in the car um, five, six months ago, I'll say, with um, driving with a few students and with somebody who would be very familiar to many of you, Bob Osborne. And we were talking about this. The, um, we're living in this time of, of unveiling. I'm kind of dishing you a little apoc apocalyptic stuff here. Um, 
some appreciate all the help. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, in so many ways, and the world seems to be coming apart at the seams. And Bob said, wouldn't this be just the time for Jesus to come back? And what on earth would that look like? And we began to talk like, it's surely, none of us knew what it was going to look like the first time when Jesus came. It was humble and yet earth shattering. And I'm using that metaphorically, but um, this is precisely the hope. Not that we can, we work toward change. We work, we do our best. Um, I, you know, one of, one of the privileges I have is, is working with uh, like PhD students in, who are geologists and talking with them. And they will point to some positive things. But I think overall all as well, we can just look at it and say, this is, we are literally heading for disaster. And yet, isn't, isn't this the point of hope? The point is not that we can figure it out or that if we just get our heads together in the next five, like I, I do think we have to seriously address it and I think we almost, need, we need to take very drastic measures. So don't hear me saying to, that I don't think we should address it. But even if we get to the point of, of saying we just don't know, it is precisely here where hope is the strongest. Because the answer lies not inside but outside, and the outside is coming towards us. And this is precisely what Advent is about. That in our most hopeless situations, the surprise of God can visit us at any moment. And we don't know what it looks like. We don't know when it will come. But we look toward the future because it is coming towards us. So we walk in the light, which also means... Um, we take serious <laughs> climate change and, we, and uh, reducing carbon emissions and all of these types of things. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to any of those, those questions. Um, but what I do know is that hope, biblical hope, is never in rejection of fact, right? And uh, which I, I think is essentially what you're saying. I think it was Nietzsche that, that said, you know, that the religion is the opium of the people. That it's the thing that we do to just cloud ourselves from what's real. And then Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, brilliant writer and thinker, said, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, the religion of the Bible is a religion that opens you up to the full reality of how bad things are. And then we put our hope in God. So, so you must hear from us that, that, that hope is never a denial of what's going on. But what hope does call us to do is imagine impossible things. I don't know how we fix climate change. I don't know how we fix war. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, just think a couple of weeks ago, like a missile just landed over the other side of a border. I mean, we were on the brink, you know, of, of, of another world war. And fortunately, at that point, it didn't happen. But all these things are like, they're not hopeful things. But the point of, the, of, of, of apocalyptic literature, to bring th this into it, the point of revelation is to always call us to hope beyond the way things appear to be, right? Um, one of the problems we have as Christians in the modern world with Revelation is we tend to read it in bits, right? We read a little bit of Revelation, whoa, that's a bit heavy, don't know what to do with that. All of these New Testament texts were, were designed to be read in one sitting. So notice what Revelation does at the start. It says, it says and we've got the text in the back wall uh, in some of the art near our coffee urns, he who was and is and is to come. Uh, he is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. So Revelation sets you up at the start. I'm going to tell you a story. The story is going to be terrifying. But remember this. 
He was and is and is to come. He's with us. And then by the end of the revelation, guess what? He was with us the whole time and he did put everything right. Everything right. So one of the confessions, this is sermon part two for a second. Think about what the psalmist says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So one of, our, one of my confessions when it comes to climate change is that God is concerned about his creation. That includes me, that includes you, and it includes stuff. Right? The, uh, an old professor of mine said to me once, look at the Sermon on the Mount. The meek shall inherit the earth. If we destroy the earth, the meek will be unhappy. <laughs> God has promised us that he will put all things right. I have no idea how that's going to happen, but I absolutely know that, that, think about the one thing that God asked the humans in the garden. Look after this. If your theology has a God who doesn't care about the world, it's not a biblical theology. It's a God who, who, said, who said to us, care for this. Who said to us, look after this. Help this do what it's called to do. At one level, why? Because you need it. You're going to need it to stay alive. When you concrete everything, good luck breathing. And, and, and these are the problems that we've been, as Christians, we've been blind to. Because we're like, oh, don't worry, God's taking us somewhere else. No, God's trying to renew the earth. He's trying to put all these things back together again for us. But it does feel impossible right now. All that I would say is don't let that apparent hopelessness of war, of, of climate change, of, of nation against nation, of human against human, of pandemics and rumors of more pandemics, those shouldn't shape our hope that ultimately, what well, all apocalyptic literature wants to remind you, God is in control and he will put things right. That, does that work? Absolutely. It, it, we live in the tension. We live in the tension of we will work in the way that God has instructed us to work. And even if it all falls apart, there's still hope. <laughs> this, this is the, the great tension of, of Advent. Even, even in the most disastrous things, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and is coming again. Um, you know, and then just to, uh, you know, Leslie Newbigin was I once it. asked. I was literally about to say this, so yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was once asked, uh, apparently, you know, are you optimistic or pessimistic about, I, I think he was asked about the future of the church, but we could say the same thing about the future of the world. And he said, I am neither optimistic nor pessimistic. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Um, and this, this is where we hang our hat. Um, that Jesus is risen from the dead and he will come again. And while we wait, waiting is not inactivity. <laughs> waiting is faithfully caring for the earth, carefully working. Stay awake, Paul says. <laughs> Stay awake, wake up like things are happening. Um, pay attention to these things, work for these things, and then know that essentially the whole world does not rest on, on your shoulders even as you work for it because Jesus is coming again. W.H. Auden, let me, uh, let's bring us into land. Because tell you what fascinates me, just to let you know. Very similar question uh, in the first service yeah. as well. Uh, and this is the Advent question. This is the Advent question. What the heck are we going to do? Right? And at some level, the answer is, well, you're going to have to hope in God because you can't fix this on your own. Auden wrote this, um, this piece for the time being. This is just a verse from it during the war. Right? And he wrote this, we who must die demand a miracle. I mean, just think, just think, let me interpret this. Uh, uh, well, let me attempt an interpretation of this. Like, phenomenal question you, you've just asked there. Actually, that statement is the question. That's, that's we are facing death and we need a miracle. And then, and then bear in mind, he's writing this at Christmas. He says, an advent, sorry. He says, how could the eternal do a temporal act? The infinite become a finite fact. Nothing can save us that is possible 
we who must die demand a miracle. And I, if we are, Advent story in Luke's gospel begins with two women, both of whom didn't expect to have a baby, both of whom are pregnant. <laughs> the miracle of Advent begins that God who is eternal became part of us, became with us. And so the hope that we find in the absolute chaos of the world, and maybe it's just your world personally, like, oh my goodness, if you knew what happened in my week. Maybe you're sat here right now with no disrespect intended at all, going, I love that you care about the environment, but like my family is in chaos right now because of a doctor's phone call or somebody left or something happened. Like some of us are on the prayer chain in this church and, and we're seeing like emails coming in of people just facing horrendous situations in their up close personal life. And yet there's others of us who are like deeply, deeply terrified about what's happening in Europe and what's happening in the environment and they're all legitimate. And Alden speaks to us, I think, in deep biblical tradition and says nothing can save us that is possible. But fortunately, what Advent calls us to is that impossible things have happened and they will keep happening and God will rescue us, and God will do the miracle, and God will not leave us abandoned. And that's why Advent trains us to hope. So what I want to do is, is this. I want to end with the creed. You'll notice we've not said the creed. And it's a real special treat for you. Because it's Advent, we're going to move a little further forward in history, and we're going to read the Nicene Creed together. For the four weeks of Advent, we'll read the Nicene Creed because it's phenomenal. It's a little longer than the Apostles' Creed, but it points us to what we're hoping in. And also, it's a little insight to where a lot of the Christmas songwriters stole their ideas from. So Phil's going to read us, uh, lead us. Why don't we stand together? One of Phil and I's friends, uh, a bishop that we're friends with, uh, says this about the creed. It's like everything's scary. Sometimes the sermon made zero sense whatsoever. Uh, sometimes you're not sure what's going on. But we say the creed to remind us in the chaos, we still have something that we believe in. And that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Phil, would you lead us? Yeah. So in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the darkness, let us confess what we believe. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son. He is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. 
We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And amen. So may you go with God's grace and peace this first day of Advent. God bless.